This is the Sonic Gravity presentation of the Unexplained Rundown, Brad Voorhees and the Sonic Gravity Theory of Everything, Part 2. Oh yes, we discussed it at every conference that we had with the military and... They never had been, never were able to make me a concrete report on. You haven't on the subject, sir. No, I haven't had anything on the subject, and there's always things like that going on. The flying saucers, and they've had other things, you know. For years, the world has seen reality distorted, facts manipulated, and truth hidden. But there's even more to the story than anyone has ever suspected. Because no one has been able to see the whole picture. Until now. So Grant Levac is a friend of mine. He's an Australian. Orbital brother from another mother from down under, so to speak. And we met in the course of, so over the last year and a half, I've kind of gotten into UFOs and into the physics behind UFOs. And Grant is really focused on advocacy and disclosure advocacy in Australia, where there's considerable UFO and UAP activity, but it seems like the Australian government's kind of keeping a lid on stuff. And they're keeping a lid on stuff that in some ways the American government is actually disclosing more about UAP activity in Australia. Australia than Australia is. Seems like. Maybe. Probably. I'm pretty sure. And Grant's all about, tell us what you know. Sending in FOIA requests, trying to get information. And we sort of strategized about some of that and how in some ways, if the government keeps UAP crash recovery and material and that technology in the hands of the private sector via contracts, you know, maybe some of the best ways to FOIA to to receive information from our governments via the Freedom of Information Act would be to FOIA information about the contracts, the organizations that do that kind of thing for the government. And that's really one of the big focuses. And that's really one of Grant's big focuses. And he knew I had a theory of everything and he knew I was submitting it to Kurjai Mongal's Theories of Everything podcast. And so he brought me on his show uh, to talk about it and to go over some of the you know other things that are going on in ufology and you know just kind of a chit-chat because we're pals, bigly. And it was a great conversation, and it ran two and a half hours in a blink. And so I invited him to uh, to shoot me the audio so he could chop it up um, and present it uh, on the Sonic Gravity podcast. But I invite you to please um, go to Grant's YouTube channel, and you can subscribe, subscribe to his YouTube channel. It's totally free. It's called The Unexplained Rundown, and you can check out some of his other work and interviews and disclosure progress. Throw him some likes and some subscribe. Throw him a subscribe and some likes. Won't cost you a dime, but really help him out. Appreciate it. Bigly. This is our conversation. I hope you like it. Let's listen. But there is the technology of UFO flight is so simple. And it's just like regular flight. It's almost, it's only a little bit more complicated than regular flight. But I mean, you know, like the Wright brothers, you know, the the way you create lift is essentially you make a wing that's flat on the bottom and curved on top. And when the air goes faster over the top to catch up with the air on the bottom, it's a pressure differential and that's lift. Mm. That's all you need to fly. If you give something a push, you have a camber, you're there. 
right? Mm. Yep. Zero point energy. And I'll tell you exactly how to do it in just a second. And, um, you know, massless UFO flight, it's not tough. It's so, it, it's so easy in terms of like the technology that's required, but I don't think we're there yet. I don't think people figured it out yet. And I can't imagine why not, because I'm serious. Like I've, I've built a harmonic electromagnetic frequency, uh, uh, generator that, and I've got two and a half pounds of like mass reduction. I built a 50 pound rig. I put it on a scale. I turn it on. It got lighter. So, yep. so that's, you know, so it's there. Like the, the, the mechanics are there. The only issue is I just need time to essentially machine it so that I can keep that resonant frequency. Cause it's kind of like pushing somebody on a swing, right? Yeah. You, you push them and they go out and they come back and you push them again. They go out, they come back. And essentially you create a symmetry break with the Higgs wing. It's like dumping the kid out of the swing, yeah. but you got to get that push, right? Or it's like, you're pushing the kid when they're coming back to you, like in the middle of the swing. So, so there's precision in the machinery of the electromagnetic field generator that you need to have um, that I haven't perfected yet. But, um, but anyway, but I'll, and I'll tell you how, how you create that masslessness in just a second, but it's that simple. And so the pressure the it's, and it's legit, right? Like if the enemies of our country, you know, it's so easy. Anybody can do it. I did it on my kitchen table. Yeah. And so, so there has to, and the only way they could keep something so simple, so secret is to, you know, disclose, misdisclosure, misinformation, all this, all this stuff about like self-contained plasmas. It's all crap. I mean, mm -hmm. they're just trying, you know, they're just trying to create and you know, the Noise. reason is, is because the anti, the gravity field or the anti-gravity will create a massive gravity field around the massless ship and the heat from the pressure of that gravity. You know, you see like the go, I don't know if it's go, this is the Mexican air force one where the holes like melting off the thing, yeah. melting off the craft as it flies. Well, that's because of the heat that's coming out of that field. And if the field like starts to weaken and that heat's running over the craft, it's going to melt. And I talked about how that happens in an episode called uh, the cattle mutilation 101. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's part of the reason they dunk themselves into the ocean is to cool that off because obviously the heat that's generated for so much gravity could, you know, disturb your ship. But that's why you'll see them all the time going into the ocean. I, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because there's been a lot of yeah. um, reports of UAP over, you know, Tic Tac, Go Fast, Flee, um, the 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 Michigan flap in the sixties. Uh, you've got I the that is. The, the the I think in nineteen sixty. I can't remember when it was, but there was some um, some sightings for a prolonged period of time of Lake Michigan. But yeah, there seem to be uh, a lot of these reports of UAP over bodies of water, and you know other people have thrown ideas around saying, well, yeah, there's an abundance of hydrogen in the water. Is it some sort of refueling station? But you're of the the opinion that you know it's essentially an effort to to cool down uh based on the 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 excess heat production that's that's generated oh yeah that, well uh, i know that that would have to be i mean whether or not that's the reason in every case they do that i mean but that's definitely um the reason that when we make these in the future because these are all future humans well at least the ones many of them are future humans that's going to be that's definitely going to be sop like you're definitely going to have to cool off um, so I guess, so should we talk about, um, quantum echo theory? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good segue. I was, okay. was going to say, do you think, um, before we probably jump into that, do you think that Roswell oh, yeah. was, oh. 
I'm sorry, Ross, we're talking about the, you asked the first question. I didn't mean to deflect it. You were asking me about what I think is going to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what they're getting, so there's this, I'm just, this, the technology is simple and we'll go through it and you'll be like, dude, yeah, that is very simple. (laughs) And so, so there's going to be pressure to don't tell people to don't reveal anything that's going to talk about that, like the technology. Um, And so, but they know that they can't like lie, like they can't outright say there's nothing. They have to give everybody something. And so, and so I think, right, it's future humans, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about like, well, a quantum echo, how it goes back in time. And that actually has a lot to do with why UAP appear around like nuclear explosions and stuff. But, um, but so the, they, they don't want to disclose anything that's going to kind of let people onto how simple things are, but they can't just like totally blow it off. Cause then that'll cause more scrutiny and so, cause people are seeing it and it's on people's phones and people are going to start getting fed up. And the, the, what part of the reason that they don't, they don't have, they, they're not gonna be able to string this out as long as they did before, because you and I both know, and we talked about how, why it's a dead end to send FOIA requests to the government is because yeah. the government doesn't have the stuff. Like we said, it's Patel, it's these other aerospace contractors private, and private enterprise aerospace. Yeah. 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 And pretty soon the the it's gonna you know the gig's gonna be up pretty soon and and then you know we're gonna i think things are gonna change so part of this disclosure you know right now it's still pretty low i mean like right now the intensity is still pretty low the whole like mainstream world isn't like biting their you know fingernails trying to see what's going on and so they're in a place where they they have legit security interests and not telling everybody like what's going on until they're in a you know t- technologically superior position but at the same time you know you and the Ross Coltharts and you know all you know um George Knapp and you know all these you know these you know they're really sick and tired of all this uh you know these lies and that kind of stuff um so so they have a narrow window of time so they're under some pressure and what we're going to see is they're going to use very very specific words like i saw technology is not from this earth mm-hmm. that's i saw something okay no it's from future earth they fucking know it's from future earth they're saying not this earth and i think they're trying to like you know try to mislead people into thinking oh it's aliens or whatever you know no it's not aliens i'm certain mm-hmm. it said usaf on the crash retrieval at um roswell i'm sure you know there was definitely you know some stuff and the thing is i think the reason though that we i think the reason the military isn't flipping out on this and hasn't been flipping out on it is because they can clear the air and the sky very very easily Mm. because they're future humans all we need to do is write a policy today that says you have to fly in this area over here up at this altitude and whatever and then of course in the future it's a time capsule and they will see and probably observe and recognize and fly that way so so they can actually control because and we'll talk about how time works and everything but so if if we wrote a policy today and they honored it in the future 
then we wouldn't have any well, collisions and that kind of there's, stuff. There's some validation on, on that that hypothesis. Uh, because you don't so, see the military going to like DEFCON 5 and scrambling jets and all that. You don't see any of that. And, and mm. if there was like crazy, you know, UFOs like actually in the airspace of like the United, you know, like, you know, if there were like threats, like aerospace threats, you know, they'd be all over that. Yeah. So they, they so know. I've always wondered too, like, what are the rules of engagement in, like, you have the scenario where the, you know, Jeremy Corbell released the, those pyramid shapes, which have been reported to be either Boca or uh, uh, optics effect, or, or maybe they were drones, but if they were drones, and I think it occurred across the, uh, over the USS Russell, if they were drones, why wouldn't the Navy bring them down with, you know, artillery or directed energy weapons to, to to find out you know where these drones have come from because doesn't that potentially open up the US Department of Defense for a, a huge potential embarrassment and, and people asking a lot more questions saying well this is a huge vulnerability of uh at the armed forces and our adversaries are going to be looking and saying well the US military is not not as not you know all that it's made out to be because they're not even reacting to uh, these these drones or UAP that fly with impunity above um, restricted airspace above a, a carrier. So, I think it's it's. I was always wondering why it is that the the U.S. Navy is permitting uh, these anomalous objects to fly with impunity above above their um, their ships and in their airspace. Why why wouldn't they bring them down? I mean, what what I don't know a lot about rules of engagement, but if you were in you're granted they're not in the battlefield they're 100 miles offshore of the west or east coast but if you're in um if you're in a combat situation and you have something fly overhead that could potentially be the enemy or adversarial i mean what 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 are the rules of engagement would you bring it down well so you have like sort of now the rules of engagement are theater specific right so there will be different there were different rules of engagement <clears throat> in afghanistan versus iraq and so the same thing will be in like you know conus continental uh united states airspace or uh -huh. um you know maritime airspace it and so you can think of kind of the overarching law of war right principles like proportionality um you know uh, you know not uh you know harming civilians things like that right so you have these sort of overarching principles of law of war and then you have um then and then you have sort of the um you know different sort of you know elements of international law and but it all sort of the where the rubber meets the road is where the military or issues its orders and so it's its orders are all informed by the mission by the circumstances you know and by all the different elements specific to sort of like a theater like mm. of engagement. And so then you have the rules of engagement that, that are driven by those laws um, that the, you know, the troopers and, you know, the pilots and all that get, um, you know, their quarterly training on and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so, but generally whenever you have like a potential um, combat situation, right. You, you always have to have, you always have to positively identify a threat. All right. Yeah. An gotcha. imminent threat. And it, like, if the guy's like pointing his weapon at you and he's about ready to pull the trigger. Okay. Yep. You got him. You don't have to wait for him to shoot you, but you, you have to, you, there has to be a, a demonstration of sort of what we call sort of hostile intent. Intent. Right? Yeah. Gotcha. Like I'm about ready to get you. And so 
I don't think we can infer that. Like it mm-hmm. can't, that can't be inferred now. Cause if they've been zipping around in the atmosphere for like 50 years and we don't have any evidence of, you know, sort of hostile intent or anything like that, it'd be really hard pressed to, you know, make a case to do that. But I think they know it's us. Right. So we wouldn't shoot ourselves down anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I always yeah. wondered like the, do you, do you think that the gatekeepers within these black projects have, have unlocked the code and they, they've known these, these secrets of UAP propulsion and anti-gravity for, for decades and they're just keeping it, uh, you know, in, in the basement or is it, are these programs, these, waived unacknowledged special special access programs or, or saps or WUSAPs so compartmentalized that everything's so siloed that they don't have scientists collaborate and talk to one another that they they shelve their analysis of it every decade or so because they don't have the technology that can help them kind of further uh, their understanding of what they're what they're looking at what what's your thoughts do you think they that's the latter is 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 uh, is true that it's so compartmentalized that they they just simply don't know what's going on. They don't know the technology, or do they know? And they're just trying to keep it uh, as as under wraps as they possibly can. I mean, I I I can't believe they don't know because, and we're and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I can't believe they haven't figured it out. But I don't think they have because we would see so much more um, quantum flight that we would yeah. see so much more um, quantum flight going on. And I, I think for the most part, and remember, well, should we just talk about, um, should we talk about how it works? Cause yeah, that so will let, let's, answer let's, sort of this question. Let's um, dive into the, the quantum echo hypothesis that you, you came up with as a, uh, you know, when you're rack, racking your brain, trying to figure out what was propelling these UAP, um, the, the quantum echo hypothesis. So feel free to, to dive into that. Okay. So, I was looking at them and I was like, well, okay, look, they have instantaneous velocity. They're cornering like at super duper fast speeds. They're flying faster than bullets. I was like, the only way that can happen is if they're massless. And that Mm -hmm. is a fact. They have to be massless because I said it. So I was was waiting for it. (laughs) They have to be massless because even metal at the, at the G's, the forces, when they just take off like an instantaneous velocity, that would pancake like a, a, a craft. It would absolutely mm-hmm. pancake it. And I mean, to say nothing of, you know, the, the pilot's brain inside. And we were talking about drones a little bit earlier. I don't think they're drones. And when we talk about the field that's around, because I don't think you're going to get signals in there. It's going to scramble mm-hmm. light. I don't think you can get radio signals like in there and for another reason. So anyway, so I don't think drones are a possibility. Um, but cause you just couldn't control them. I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. so anyway, so they have to be massless. Right. And so, and you know, it, it, the other thing I was thinking was, you know, it's either aliens or it's either us, right. Or it's not us. If it's not us, it's aliens, right. If it is us, it can only be us from the past, us from the present or us from the future. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fact. Like that's, yeah. you know, and so, and I'm thinking it can't like, you know, swords and, you know, castles and shit. It's not the past, it's right? The, present. Uh, I don't think it can be the present so much because if it was the present, like we've seen so many different kinds of crafts. Like I saw a poster that was like 50 different kinds of craft. You couldn't have 50 different actual present day secret 
like you know ufo construction operations going on like people would know there's just no way there's just no way to have that be you know like 50 different secret operations going on it just can't happen so it has to be us from the future i think so or i think it's likely and so just on that to interject do you think there is um it's probable that it could be more than just us from the future i mean extraterrestrial ultra terrestrial interdimensional so it's it could be a smorgasbord of of things yep oh yeah oh yeah no no doubt i think for the most part for most of it is probably the future but you i mean you just can't you can't rule it out because we're gonna we're gonna talk about how when when that quantum echo when that goes into the past like it creates a wormhole and so the reason that we don't need to be nomadic when we spin up our quantum craft is we're going to create a wormhole into the past and so what's going to happen is is i'm going to spin up my ship it's going to drop my quantum echo into the past. And then you're the guy who's going to fly through my wormhole in your quantum craft. And you're going to go 10,000 years into the past through that wormhole. Then you're going to fly instantly at the speed of light. Cause the, the time for you will go really quick, even though, you know, 50,000 years here will go by really fast. But anyway, so if I spin up my quantum craft, create the quantum echo that lands 10,000 years in the past, you fly through now you're 10,000 years in the past. Mm-hmm. So you fly 5,000 light years to Zeta Reticuli or whatever. You can go do your thing. And then you zip back at the speed of light. 5,000 takes you fi- takes the observer here would see 5,000 years go by and you arrive here in your home in time for dinner. So, <laughs> yeah. so we're not going to have to, I don't think we're going to have to be nomadic to go really, really far. I don't think people realize that, but so here's how, here's how like the whole quantum flight thing goes. As far as I yeah. can see now, I could be totally wrong. Probably not. But if I am, okay. But this is the only way I f- could figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so they fly massless, right? And I didn't know anything about quantum physics. I didn't know anything. And so I was like, well, what gives matter mass, right? Logical question. Mm-hmm. And I saw on PBS Space Times, the Higgs field. The Higgs field gives matter mass. And then it was the, the Higgs boson was discovered uh, from the Large Hadron Collider, and I think it when was it two thousand? Yeah, twenty twelve. That's right. Yeah, or twenty fourteen. Yeah, it's like twenty twenty twelve. I think twenty fourteen. And so, and so, just so you know, like in the geometry in the Rosetta Stone of the universe, which is the theory of everything stuff that I put out on Kurt, uh, you know, in response to Kurt Jaimongal's theories of everything podcast, I put my, I put my whole theory of everything out there. So, um, and. And real quick, just a teeny piece of background. So imagine that the universe, just pretend the universe is on the holographic surface of a black hole, right? So here's the black hole surface. And our consciousness is on the surface of this black hole. And we're recording information in our memories and in our DNA. And so, and when we die, of course, our consciousness leaves the surface of the black hole is hawking radiation. But the whole piece of this Rosetta Stone of the universe, it's all based on the surface of the black hole and the Higgs field, which is the leash that leashes all the matter and energy to the surface of our black hole and mm-hmm. space time. The reason the whole universe is expanding is space time is blowing out of the black hole. And so that's what universal expansion is. Space time is blowing. It's like quantum foam, right? Like, so space time is blowing out of black holes, which is pushing other black holes and their space further out. And so that's why the universe is expanding but we're on the surface of this black hole 
In the same way that our brain doesn't interact with anything, you know, our brain only interprets signals from our electrical signals, energy from our from our optic nerve and our olfactory nerve and our audio nerve. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the olfactory nerve is the nerve that carries both smell and taste to your brain. So right. if you smell a fart, you're actually tasting <laughs> You're it. eating it as well. <laughs> and that is a fact. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> bottom line. So a quick question so, for you. So uh, uh, oh, yeah. on the, with respect to, you know, the whole uh, conscious living on the hologram of Petita's 2 mm -hmm. surface of the black hole, a lot of folks may not, I mean, the, uh, Many folks may only have frame of reference for for holograms as to you know the, the that famous nineteen ninety one cover of nice. Sports Illustrated where you get to see uh, MJ on the cover. But I mean, if you if you're like me, you you kind of a little bit more in tune with uh, the, the, <laughs> the people that you're interviewing. But um, so break it down. What what do you mean when you say a hologram on the two D surface of a black hole? Just so folks maybe have a bit of frame of reference. Okay, sure. So. Now, I didn't come up with this piece. The holographic principle is a bunch of genius physicists, uh, Maldacena, Leonard Susskind, Stephen Hawking, Gerard Hoof, um, you know, going back to Jacob Bekenstein, even Einstein and Carton said that a black hole is a portal, is a wormhole to another uh, universe. Mm -hmm. So those guys are the guys who said it. And what that kind of means is, is that, and Maldacena is the guy who took string theory, which was invented by Susskind, and then said, this is how the black hole universe incorporates string theory. But it's essentially that, you know how like, you know, you, you could think of the distance between me and my microphone. I can mm -hmm. cut it in half, and then I cut it in half, and then I can cut it that distance in half, and, that, and I never actually get there. See what I mean? Because yeah. I just go half and half and half. And so that's the idea that the entire 3D space of the universe could exist in a two-dimensional um, visualization, just like a hologram, just kind of based on that, you know, smaller half, a half, a half, a half, a half. And so, because you can get the infinite depth by infinitely dividing little spaces that you see. So, so it doesn't need to be, so the hologram, and so the way the hologram would sort of, you could think of this, um, the way it would work is that your consciousness is on the surface of the hologram and the hologram is feeding your consciousness energy the same way that your brain doesn't interact with anything. It just is fed energy by mm. your senses and your nerves. And so your brain doesn't touch anything, smell anything. It shouldn't touch anything, but smell <laughs> anything, hear anything, taste anything. It all it does is interpret energy or signals. And so you could like totally be your consciousness could be on the surface of the black hole the same way you think your brain is in your head interpreting reality. You could be getting the same diet of electrical signals or energy from the hologram. And that could be what you interpret as reality that you see, mm. you know? So, so it, 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 the fact that our brains, it's a clue that our brains don't actually interact with anything. They sit in like this sensory deprivation chamber and all they do is interpret signals from our, from our, from our nerves. And so our consciousness could be on the surface of the hologram. So it would be like, imagine a fishbowl, right? You're, there's a fishbowl and say that's like the black hole is the fishbowl. And so you'd like put your head, your forehead to the fishbowl and close your eyes, right? And all of a sudden, now you have the perspective of the fish like swimming in the, in the, in the fishbowl. The yeah. Yeah. And so I think when you look, like when we look at the cosmic microwave background, which is like, you know, the, 
the fuzzy like energy or whatever at the farthest reaches of the universe. I think what we're looking at when we look at the cosmic microwave background is the inside of our black hole. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're looking at when we look at the cosmic microwave background. So, so we're kind of in this fishbowl bounded by the holographic boundary of the cosmic microwave background, which is sort of infinitely far away because, you know, it's like you can get infinitely smaller, smaller, smaller. So it's a, it's a hologram that's sort of infinitely far away, but we're, we're on the surface. Our consciousness is on the surface of it, but the information we get from the black hole tells us that we're inside this universe. And so, and, and so this is not the only thing that is novel, right? Is that I'm saying our consciousness is on the surface of this hologram. Mm. And here's how, here's my evidence for that. And this might sure, freak for, you out. Frame of reference there for, for folks. Hey, one, one question. I was watching, um, before you carry on, I was watching, um, and I know Christina Gomez, thank you for uh, joining us. My friend has a question, so I'll throw that up in just a moment. But I was watching um, a show on, on uh, was it was a TV the other night, How the Universe Works, and they're saying, well, what if the, the, the black hole does, doesn't have a surface and it's potentially, um, I mean, if you think of a, a, sure. a, a wormhole, could, be, could it be potentially a tunnel to... Uh, another universe so on the other side of a black hole you have a white hole where it's uh you know uh, excreting uh you know in, information and and mass and particles rather than the 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 sheer gravity of a, a supermassive black hole like m87 um you know mm -hmm. having very very slow you wouldn't have spaghettification with a supermassive hole like um M87, but this is all working on the assumption that there is actually a, a surface on the black hole rather than once you pass the event horizon, there's an inner, inner event horizon and the singularity. So is is that kind of working on the, the premise that there's that surface of the black hole that's not, you can't go any further? Well, so I have a completely different, and so this is where physicists, they'll be like, no, nah, that's stupid. <laughs> but so, so we like Einstein told us that anything that goes faster than the speed of light, right? Like has to go back in time. And so the reason, okay, so this gets into black hole Genesis, which I have like a five minute video on black hole Genesis. And essentially what I'm saying happens in a black hole, it's not actually a black hole. It's a donut. And the way it happens is, is, and I do the math and I show it how it turns into a donut, but essentially think of an ice skater, right? So an uh, ice skater, she jumps up in the air and she pulls her arms and spins up really, really fast, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's something called conservation of angular momentum. So she jumps up in the air and she's spinning and she's got her arms out. And so she spins like this, but then she pulls her arms in and she zips up really fast. Well, now imagine a star that has, it's a million miles wide and it collapses in, in a supernova. And there's like reasons for that. We don't need, but anyway, bottom line is, is that the star will collapse Mm -hmm. And then it, I think it's doing like a light speed axle. I think just imagine if an ice skater was that big and then pulled her arms in how fast she'd spin up. Well, I think that the core of that star, now the core of that star, right in the very middle, that's not it, the very, very first part, whatever, that's not going anywhere, right? It's just staying right there. But as you go out, when it collapses, it gets faster and faster and there's a certain radius. And I do the math. It's on my YouTube channel. I compute the radius given the inertia, given the, the, um, the moment I compute the radius in a star called VY Canis Majoris, I compute the radius where if it collapses, it achieves the speed of light at a certain radius. And so what that means 
is that all the space that had matter that was going faster than the speed of light rips out of time and goes mm. into the past. And so, and so the starlight collapses at a certain radius, this donut, you know, is going to achieve the speed of light and that space goes back in time. So the hologram is the missing space. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's so if, and I don't think, you know, I don't think it, black holes don't arrest light. Light is massless. You can't use gravity to arrest something with no mass because force equals mass times acceleration. If you have no mass, you don't have any force. Right? Yeah. So light's massless. I don't think it traps light. If you can put M87 up again, yeah. you'll see that look at the, just look at the grain on M87. And I think the scientific community is going to wake up and see that a black hole is a, yeah, is a, a legit donut. Yeah, I don't know about this one. There we go. So that was the, the photo that was taken. Um... Oh, okay. That's Sagittarius A star. Oh, right? okay. Hang on. That's Sagittarius A star. Look at the bottom right one. That's a donut from the side, dude. That is yeah. not, that is a, yeah. those are, that's an oval. That's All kind that, of toroidal shape. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a donut, dude. I mean, you can say that the thing in the middle is a, a big, massive, whatever, but it's not. It's a donut. I mean, but you had the M87. Yeah, um, I love that one. picture, by the way. Um, uh, and yeah. M87, when they when they clarified it, you can see, man, there is no distortion. That is, it's a straight up donut. And if you look at the side of it, look at the side of it. Look at the way those ridges go to sort of the bottom edge. That's not, they say, oh, that's an accretion disc or, oh, that's the magnetic this or that. And if you look on the left, look at the left-hand side, the yellowest part on the left-hand side. Yeah. Dude, look how scraggly that is. That's, that's a ridge that is bending, you know, th- th- that is just in, just in my view. And I was, and by the way, I predicted that black holes were donuts in like, I want to say an April or July episode of 2021. So it was before any of this stuff came out. And so, so like you, if you go to the sonic gravity, um, um, I see this actually makes a lot more sense to me than, than, uh, than, than any of those, than any of the other representations of the images. Yeah. Yeah. The images now. So what happens is, is, and we'll talk about this, but so the, the surface of the black hole is like this space times blowing out of the black hole, mm-hmm. um, from the, from the future to the past and, the space time blowing out of the surface of the black hole is what changes the hologram. And that's what we notice, I think is the passage of time. And so because space time is blowing out of the black hole, um, you see, you see how there's like all these, see, but in the middle of the surface of the black hole, you see how tight that is. Now space time's actually blowing into the middle. And I think it is a white hole by the way, because it's blowing space time out. So yeah, the black right. hole has a lot of gravity and I'll tell you mm-hmm. why that is in a second, but that's because all that matter and energy went back in time when it went faster than the speed of light. And so, and it's space time, right? So if mass can bend, everybody knows that regular gravity mass bends space. Well, it's not just space, it's space time. So there's no reason to think that time can't cause gravity too. something going mm-hmm. back in time. And Einstein said, if something goes faster than light it goes back in time. So I don't think this is some kind of weird, crazy singularity thing. I think it's really simple. I think mm-hmm. the the ice skater pulls her arms in. Part of it speeds up past the speed of light. It goes back in time. That's Einstein. It's not me. I didn't say that. But that tension where that space 
rips out of our time or it's like i mean it's still quantumly entangled i mean imagine like like this is the space where it's faster than light and here's the space where it's not well this goes back in time right this is still connected there's tension bending space time into the past and that's the exact same thing um if you think of it like here's the surface of the black hole all the matter and energy is oscillating around we talked about how like it's matter up here it's antimatter down here and the higgs string is the string that leashes all the matter and energy to the surface of the black hole. Well, when that matter goes faster than light, it goes back in time. Because remember, mm. here's the surface of the black hole. Here's here's the or here's the future. Here's the past. If it has to go back in time, now that tension in the Higgs string is the gravity. And, and, so, and this is where I think you use quite nicely in your podcast the uh, the analogy of the the slices of cheese. Is, yep, is that slices right? of cheese. Yeah. So so take a snapshot of the universe, all the energy in the universe on the holographic surface at one point in time, just take a picture. That's mm -hmm. the state of everything in the universe at one time. Peel that surface off of a donut, right? Off of the black hole and hang it like a sheet, like a slice of cheese. And so, and in the, in, in the math of, um, in the math of, uh, uh, relativity and, um, and quantum mechanics, all that, like the, um, the, the slice of cheese, the instant of time, if you, at the surface of a black hole, the time and distance, weirdly, in order to maintain causality, switches. And so mm -hmm. what you get is, is you get the surface of this black, the surface of this black hole at every instant in time like that, right? And so the distance this way across the slices of cheese becomes time-like. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Because yeah, like the first frame in the movie is on the left and the second frame, then the third frame. And so, and so now you can think of say on those slices of cheese, the slice all the way at the very right hand side. Okay. That's mm -hmm. our instant in time right now. Okay. Now, if the Higgs field, if something spin like a black hole, if it spins faster than light has to go back in time, backwards through those slices of cheese, right? Yeah. The, the part of the, the part of the star, the collapsing star has to drag backwards through those slices of cheese because that's what Einstein said. It goes back in time if it goes faster. But none of these slices of cheese can accept the core of that star because that core of that star is energy, E equals mc mm. squared, right? All the mass in that is energy. And every one of those slices of cheese, according to the law of conservation mass energy, has to be equal. And mm. so nothing can accept it. It goes all the way back before the beginning of time. And now there's also space inside the core of that star, right? Because the, you know, say the core of the star spins faster than light goes back in time. Well, it's dragging some space with it. Some space tore out of, you know, our instance of playing time where it left the black hole, right? And so it goes all the way back before the beginning of time and the space in that star that goes all the way back in time, big bangs. And that's yeah, what right, a big yeah. bang is. So, yeah. so a black hole, I think a universe is inside a black hole our universe big banged. I named this star for my wife, Ashley, whichever. I don't know where that star is, but, but anyway, so. So what, what do you think, what do you think happens when, um, when black holes merge? I mean, if a galaxy, if M87 consumes another galaxy or, uh, what, what, what implications are there there when black holes do merge with others? I know it's gnarly, right? It's really yeah. gnarly. Somebody said, or I was, I was, I was on a forum one time with a bunch of physicists and I saw this black hole video that talked about 
two black holes that they think were like, you know, zipping around and they merged. And, mm-hmm. I, and so I always give them a hard time, right? Because they say, oh, time stops at the surface of a black hole. And there's so many paradoxes with the consensus um, sort of conjecture um, thinking of black holes, black hole theory, because they say that things, you know, things like, uh, you know, black holes, everything stops sort of at the event horizon and it would like everything would stop and it would take like 50,000 years for, for, you know, for, for these black holes to touch because with the event horizon, everything stops. And I'm like, well, okay. So how are they merging then? I mean, I mean, if it takes like, you know, a billion or, or a trillion years for these, for something that's, or it takes like a hundred thousand years for something to cross the, the event horizon to an observer from where we are, how are two black holes going to, going to merge? Yeah. I mean, because that means it should take a trillion years, which is older than the universe. So mm-hmm. how can you possibly tell me that black holes are merging if you're telling me that it would take like you know, the, everything stops at the event horizon and they don't have an answer. And so mm-hmm. they make shit up and they say, oh, well, it's a it's a bunch of stars really. Cl-. Anyway, it doesn't stupid. <laughs> and so, no, but but that's a good question, though. And the thing is, is that um, that's why I don't think that the the there's like an event horizon the way they say there is um they might merge that would be totally gnarly if they did because i don't know what happens to all the stuff that's back before the beginning of time if two merge up here there Mm. is a there is some research that says black holes can't can't Mm. and if i had to i would throw my you know you know, if if I had to pick, do they merge, do they don't? I would say they don't. It's called the last parsec problem. 